previously on Where I Stay. The girl with the bad check. <laughs> yes. Did you Monica. Meet? Monica. Angelica had been kicked out, abandoned, and raided by federal law enforcement. Now she was getting arrested for a crime that she says she didn't even know was going down. Two officers came out. And I'm like, okay, what the hell is this? He's like, um, ma'am, is this your check? I was like, that's my friend's check. He's like, well, it's a stolen check. You need to come with us. What are you thinking in the back of the squad car? This is some bullshit. That's it? That's it. Just mad? Like, this is some bullshit. My son's at the house. I need to call my mama. So you are thinking about your son? Yeah, definitely. Because that's the first phone call I made. So as soon as I got down there, I called my mother. And I was like, look, I'm in jail. I need you to go pick up my son. And I gave her the address. From Rivet and Streetwise, this is where I stay. I'm Jesse Batend. While there was little doubt in Angelica's mind that she was headed to prison, what that meant for her two-year-old son, Anthony, was still very much up in the air. Episode 5, Inmate of the Month. And break apart. I'll break apart. After she was arrested, the police loaded Angelica into the back of their squad car and pulled out of the grocery store parking lot. Her final destination would be the Iowa Correctional Institution for Women, but it would take Angelica a while to get there. In Iowa, you go through different stages. So, of course, you go to jail. In the jail, um, that's where you get your phone call or whatever. I had to call my mom to pick up my son for me. In Des Moines? Yeah. Location. Polk County Jail, holding cell, Des Moines, Iowa. It's a two-bunk cell, bathroom with a sink, all attached. Um, it's like stainless steel. So at the top, you got your sink. And when you push the button, it comes out like a drinking fountain. So it's like your drinking fountain, your um, where you wash your hands, where you brush your teeth, and then down right attached to it is the toilet. As strange as it might sound, one of the chief attractions at Polk County was the toilet system. Polk County Jail, all the toilets are connected. So throughout the night, you hear people talking through the toilets to other people on different floors and stuff. It's, yeah. Oh, wait, what kind of things did you hear through the toilets? Them just talking, having conversations. What they would do was either pull out the water instead of using a cup or whatever a bowl and drain out the water out of the toilet or they would pump it which you would sit on on the toilet and stuff and just pretty much bounce up and down what? and it would siphon the water out of the toilet oh my god so then they'll take toilet paper rolls or whatever and put them together and then you stick it into the toilet and you talk to other people on the other floors and if you weren't talking to other people on different floors through the toilet you were talking to your neighbors through the air vents. So it was, every every night was chaos. 
you heard people over here you heard people out there or through the air vents you heard people out of the cell yelling and and moaning and groaning and talking to other people in other cells and so so it was like rest was not what you were going to get so was it like almost like message in a bottle like people would just talk and be like hey like who's up like Pretty like much. that it was like johnny johnny where you at where you at <laughs> and then all you hear is i'm right here what's up and i'm like what is going on <laughs> like are you guys seriously talking through toilets now on certain floors was females and certain floors held men oh so, so you could like talk to the guys with each other through the toilets? Oh, yeah oh no there was a couple that they caught a case together they were on different floors they were able to talk through through the toilets to one another yeah did you um did you strike up a friendship with anybody through the toilets no. did you ever talk to anybody through them at no. all no no um something about sticking my face in the toilet did not excite <laughs> me <laughs> and i pretty much kept to myself when i was in the jail Angelica spent her first night, alone in a cell, listening to voices echoing through the pipes. The next day, a cellmate moved in. Originally, I was in a cell by myself, and then another girl came. Um, she ended up having court like two days later and then leaving. And then another girl came, and then um, a third girl came. What was she like? I didn't, the one that slept, slept. Hmm. So I figured she was coming down from some kind of drug. The other girl, she stayed out in, in the rec room as much as humanly possible. I stayed primarily in my room unless it was time to eat. Read a lot of, um, what is it, B.C. Andrews? <laughs> and that's all I did. I just primarily read. A few days passed. Angelica was assigned a public defender, or public pretender, as she refers to hers, who accompanied her before a judge. With no money for bail and no one to ask for help, she'd have to stay in jail with the toilet talkers, at least until her trial was over. Angelica still wasn't sure where she'd end up, but she did her best to settle into the chaos around her. There was a girl down the hall from me who poked out her own eyeball. She hallucinated, and the voices told her, an eye for an eye. So as a punishment for what she did, she poked her own eyeball out and rolled it underneath the door. When the guard came, she stopped because she seen a trail and something in the middle of the floor. Come to find out, it was the young lady's eyeball. Did you hear the scream? Like, did well, you know? When everybody else is screaming, you just try to block everything out. You got the toilet okay. talkers and the wall talkers. And so you just heard this through the toilet system. <laughs> yelling and, you know, toilets being flushed through yeah. above us, below us, next to us. A lot of chaos goes on. So it's so loud that someone could take out their eye and you wouldn't even know. Mm -mm. She should have been well institutionalized and met well medicated. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really bad. Yep. Wow. I remember that. And you're like 21 years old? Mm-hmm. Angelica was at Polk County Jail for about two weeks. Then I was transferred to uh, Missouri, which is a holding center. This was just a slightly bigger version of the Polk County Jail, where Angelica could wait out her trial. It was a co-ed holding cell. So one day, he's going to kill me if he ever hears this. <laughs> <laughs> 
So one day, um, in order for us to go outside, we had to pass um, a gate. And the gate had men on the other side. So we could physically see the men. Everything that they was doing, we could see. So one day we were going outside and there was a guy that was standing on top of a table watching the TV with a towel over his head. So I was like, oh, I like him. Imagine Snoop Dogg with his hair down and this man with long nails. And that's exactly how he is. He does not like anybody messing with his nails. He hates when a nail breaks and everything else. But he reminds me of a Snoop Dogg. And if he puts his hat, then he might even pass for Easy E. A tall, skinny Easy E. On a way back in from the yard, the guy was still there. And I was like, yep, still like him. <laughs> So she came up with a plan to get his attention. Underneath the door, there was like an inch height of a space. So we used to fold letters in the little Chinese star looking things. She means ninja stars, which is, you know, awesome. And we used to flick them underneath the doors and talk to the guys across <laughs> like the way. Like ninja star letters? Yes. Oh, that's we so cool. We would throw them underneath the doors or flick them. Somebody would find it, see the name that's written on it, and then give it to the person. And that's how we communicated with the guys. And so, so the guy that was on top of the table, his name is Steve, and stuff, or Shy, Easy. He has like 30 oh, different man. nicknames. <laughs> um, me and him started writing each other. Okay, what was the first letter like? And what was his response like? The first letter was just pretty much saying like who I was and kind of like doing the whole introduction type stuff. Was it like a dating profile first message? Was Damn it like, near. Like, hey, like I'm like. Hi, I'm Angelica. I'm here for such and such theft and forgery. Um, I'm supposedly going to prison. I'm this how old I am. I had one child at that time. So we were just going back and forth. And then, you know. Then you start talking nasty <laughs> to one another and whatever well, eventually. For sure. Things progressed from ninja star love notes to dirty ninja star love notes to whispered affections. We were writing each other every single day, back and forth. Um, he would go to the gate. I would lay on the floor and talk to him underneath the door until the COs would come and tell us, you got to move. And so, mm-hmm. Then Angelica got sentenced, two years, with a chance for parole in six to eight months. Just like when she learned she was pregnant, the reality of her situation took a while to sink in. Um, I was at the holding center for about a month, month and a half. One day, she heard her name blared over the prison loudspeakers. And they said over the intercom, pack up my stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going home, I'm going home. Yeah. So when they called your name... You were just, that was just like I a, just thought I was going home. A weird hope that came out of yeah, nowhere. I'm, going home. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh, they don't have space for me in jail. <laughs> oh, no. So I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And I'm they're like, like, oh, honey. They're like, no, this is just the <laughs> beginning of your travels. Steve, likely having a better idea of what was going on, wrote Angelica one last ninja note and slipped it under the gate. He sent me a letter. Instead of with his information, his phone number, he's like, call me, don't forget my number. So I'm like over there trying to write it on my hand because I know they're going to take everything from me besides um, my correspondence from with my attorney. So I'm writing it on my hand. I'm like, please don't wash your hand. Don't ever wash your hand. 
Angelica was loaded onto another bus. Missouri cornfields blended into Iowa cornfields. And to my surprise, no, I was being transferred to IMCC. Location, Iowa Medical Classification Center. So it's like a plexi wall that you could see other people and they could see you, but only one person is allowed out of their cell at the time. And then all you can do is just walk that little hallway and make your phone calls and then they put you back in your cell. So you're in your cell um, 23 hours out of the 24. They do all the testing, STD, AIDS, um, everything. You see the psych doctor, you see the physical doctor, and um, they determine from there what penitentiary you go to, depending on your needs. Here, Angelica was finally properly diagnosed for the first time. Back when I was younger, I was diagnosed with um, behavioral disorder. That's how my mother was able to get me um, sent to a residential treatment facility. But never, nobody ever really took the time out to really go deeper into it. So while I was in IMCC, um, I had to see the psych doctor and we started talking and he ended up diagnosing me with borderline multi-personality with depression. So I ended up taking Wellbutrin with lithium. Did you notice a change? Yes, because of the fact that on Wellbutrin, even if I wanted to cry, it'll give me like two tears and that's it. Hmm. There's no way for me to actually cry while I'm on Wellbutrin. Lithium just had me blank. So that's in so you're almost going into what is probably one of the scarier parts mm-hmm. of your life so far, almost like blank. a zombie. Like yeah, yes. like I was going to say a zombie but that seemed callous, but but that's yeah, what it is. Pretty it's much. like emotionless. You have almost. no feelings, you have no emotions. Wow. Um I really believe that some of the people were just medicated just because of the fact that they didn't want to have the problem with them, mm. you know, when they go in. Because when I went into the prison, naturally a person would feel fear, um, terror, and a shame, and all those. And I was kind of blank. I knew that I had those emotions and I had those feelings, but to actually express them, I couldn't. I was just there. I was existing. You know, and then in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm going into this unknown situation, so therefore I have to be hard. I got to be tough, because otherwise they're going to try to punk me or anything else. And then it's hard because you're also medicated. So how do you be hard? But then you're like, your eyes are slooped down. Did you tell them about the hallucinations that you had as a kid? No. Angelica had hallucinated before. The most frightening had been the bandaged man who watched her as a child at the Four Oaks Behavioral Treatment Center. But she'd seen others since. No? No, because I thought they were going to give me like schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. paranoid schizophrenia. And in at Mitchellville, they had a building specifically for people that had uh, psychosis. I guess you can say. So the ones that were more harder to deal with or had the hallucinations, they were in a a unit by themselves. So you're kind of picking what to tell them, hoping to kind of determine where you're going to end up. Visions of the girl from Polk County who took out her own eye were still fresh in Angelica's mind. And that's not where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely not in a padded room. Yeah. 
the hallucinations never bother me. Mm-hmm. Even now, if I hallucinate or if I see something, it they don't bother me. But it's just like, have you ever been in like a room or walking somewhere and you swore you saw a mouse run across the room? Yeah. Or a roach or, or something. You just saw something. It's the same thing. It's like, but I just see people. So if I see a person walking across the room and I know darn well that they're not there, then I don't have to acknowledge that they're there. You know, they're not attacking me. Travon Davis Neal is a senior clinician who regularly works with people who've experienced homelessness. When it comes to Angelica's story, she feels like she didn't actually get properly diagnosed until she actually got to prison. Is that something that you find often in your work when people come to you in general? Do they tend to have an understanding of their mental health? Most of the individuals know that there is something wrong. Most of them have a previous diagnosis from somewhere. But after spending two hours, an hour and 45 minutes and listening to their story, Oftentimes, I find that their diagnosis that they received back when they were 13 um, is inaccurate. A lot of times, individuals are diagnosed with bipolar. And so I asked them to tell me a little bit more about, you know, what was going on during that time. And normally they will say something like, well, you know, I was angry and I and I went off and I snapped off on someone. Okay. But after I had already spent an hour and 45 minutes listening to their story, um, it makes sense to me now that when you're 16, 17 and 18 and someone crosses the boundary of your personal space, you overreact or what people feel is an overreaction. But if they knew your story, they would know that that is not an overreaction. They don't know the whole story, so they see bipolar. They don't see PTSD and I'm triggered because now you you smell like him or you look like Mm. him or you look like her or your voice sounds like her and I'm triggered. So, yes, is the that was the long answer um, to your question. At the end of her 30 days. Angelica and a few other prisoners were transferred to their permanent home. After I was cleared through um, classification, that's when I ended up going to Mitchellville. The Mitchellville Correctional Facility for Women. The COs, correctional officers, just open the door and be like, they say your last name, Burgos, pack up your stuff. And that's it. And then they, within 30 seconds, they're like, hurry up. And so, so we all packed up our stuff, came downstairs, then we had to wait. They put a chain around your waist and it's a padlock. And then they put chains around your ankle and then they have another chain that goes from your waist to your ankle. But when you're getting transported for a longer period of time, they have a a black box. It's bigger than a cell phone. It's fatter than a cell phone. Your handcuffs go inside that box. So it forces you to hold your hand either up and down side by side or the opposite way. And then that black box gets attached to your waistband. So now you can't move your hands, you can't move your legs because now you're scuffling because they only give you a whole maybe foot 
a um, chain in between your legs, and now you're scuffling, and all you hear is chains wrangling behind you, in front of you, And you, you and these two other people are all chained together? Mm-hmm. Eventually, their bus pulled up in front of what looked like a heavily fortified college campus. Oh, this is prettier now. Is it? <laughs> it's prettier than when you were there? They got nice buildings now. Let me see. Its official name was the Iowa Correctional Institution for Women, located in Mitchellville, Iowa. But the inmates just called it Mitchellville. It was an old um, um, orphanage. So in one of the units, which was Unit 5, I want to say, in the basement, they had hooks. So those hooks were allegedly, um, when children were out of control, they would put them down there and chain them. And then, like, during wintertime, you could look down in the field and you would see the cemetery where some of the children were buried, but they can't take them out because it's a cemetery. Mitchellville was divided into eight separate dorm-like areas. We had one through six. These were general population. There was also a psych ward. And then we also had the bottom of the hill. The bottom of the hill was for um, drug treatment. All these areas were connected by the yard in the middle. Everybody still lined up together. And now you have to walk through the yard. So when you walk through, um, they shut down the yard. When new inmates came to Mitchellville, all the other inmates were shooed back into their gated dorm areas. So there's about, maybe about 15 to 20 of us. Along the fence surrounding the yard, other prisoners were pressed against the chain link, trying to catch a glimpse of the newbie parade. Just everybody was looking at everybody. So we ended up using the right sidewalk instead of which passed the cafeteria, which passed um, the, the psych um, building all the way to the end of the walkway, which was unit five and six. Walking through the yard and stuff, the COs will tell you and stuff, don't make no eye contact, keep your head down. Me being hard-headed and wanting to see my environment, of course I'm gonna look. There was a girl, I'll never forget, her name is Ruth Ann. And I made eye contact with Ruth Ann. And she was like, fresh meat. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Now she's talking about fresh meat. And so that's when I freaked out. Ruthann was to the right. So um, they ended up walking down as far as they could go with us until the CEO told them, either go back or I'm sending you back to your unit. But during the whole time, they're making comments to different people in the group of us walking down. Oh, she's pretty. Oh, she had a fat booty. Oh, I'm finna get her. Or that's the one I like and stuff. It's a a whole tactic of getting intimidation. For the first month, inmates are housed in their own separate unit to give them time to adjust. In Angelica's case, it also meant that she would have some time to come up with a plan to deal with Ruth Ann. But the yard and the rec areas were all communal, meaning there was nothing to separate old and new prisoners. When Angelica finally got to her cell, she was alone again. When I got to the room, I, I was by myself because everybody else was in the yard. I'm like, I'm not going out there and stuff. I'm going to keep it cool. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm just going to sleep my time off, And which is a lot of times what people do. They think that once they get in, all they're going to do is just sleep their time, read a book. So she goes to sleep. A little later, Angelica's cellmate came bouncing in. So when she came, she was real bubbly and stuff, big eyes and stuff, always smiling. Everyone called her by her last name, 
Lacey. She's like, oh, what's your name? I'm da-da-da-da. What are you in here for? And it's funny because she's my friend on Facebook now. Oh, really? She found me. She was like, oh, do you remember me? And I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you don't forget your cellmates. <laughs> what was she there for, by the way? Um, Armed robbery. She had 10 years. And did she kind of just take to you immediately? Yeah. It seems like she was friendly almost right away. She's like, oh, come outside. You can meet my friends. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I ended up going outside and then meeting other people. And then um, that's where uh, Ruth Ann came. Ruth Ann was slender, fit, and had a habit of telling people up front that she wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Like, oh, I'm Ruth Ann. I'm here for life. Oh, I shot somebody. And they died. Anyway, Ruth Ann, the lifer, spotted Angelica from across the room, walked right up to her. She was like, oh, I saw you, I saw you. I'm like, yeah, you saw me. And now, you know, my whole toughness is coming out like, okay, one of two things gonna happen. Either we gonna be cool, or me and you finna fight, and I'm just gonna have to go to the hole, which is gonna be another 30 days, but hey, I don't have to deal with you. The two women eyed each other, and Angelica prepared herself for a fight. But the rec area was swirling with new inmates, and Ruth Ann was like a kid on Christmas. Something better catches her attention. But she was distracted on other people and stuff. <laughs> it almost seems like there's a bunch of new kids, and she's mm-hmm. like, oh, who do I pick on? Who do I pick on? And getting like distracted. So she's she's like got her eye on you, and then she sees someone else, and it's like a fraternity. You kind of get she's away. The, the the leader of the fraternity to start like hazing people. Mm-hmm. Angelica melted back into the crowd. She was able to duck Ruth Ann for the next few days, but kept hearing stories. For instance, Ruth Ann had a girlfriend at Mitchellville. Every time her girlfriend would go up for parole, she would fight her girlfriend. She would go into the dorm and stuff because they were in different units. So they, she would fight her. So they both would go to the hall. So that would end up um, canceling her girlfriend's parole date. That happened again and again. And then once they kind of figured out what was going on, they were like, regardless, if you jump her, if you guys fight or whatever, she's going to see the parole board because we know what you're doing now. But it took a while. Ruth Ann, the lifer, was 14 when she was convicted of murder. Like Angelica, she'd spent a portion of her childhood living in and running away from group homes. At her 1994 trial, prosecutors said that Ruth Ann stabbed and killed 66-year-old Catherine Haynes in her home after a robbery. As a minor, she'd been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. About a week into her stay, another inmate walked up to Angelica and asked if she'd met Christina yet. And I'm like, Christina who? And she's like, oh, I'll show you. So when I saw her, I'm like, you look familiar. Cause she's a light skin, freckles on her face. And so I'm like, you look really familiar. She, I'm like, what's your last name? She's like, Fetters. And I'm like, oh my God. Like we went to first grade together. Like, I remember you telling my brother about how you eat Elmer's glue. And yes, yes, yes. Christina used to put Elmer's glue and let it dry overnight and then eat it like a Snickers bar in the morning. Oh, my God. Then she'll put glue on her hand and just lick it. Yeah, she was unique. And then one day my oldest brother came to pick me up from school and she went up to him and said, I drank a whole bottle of glue. I'll never forget the day. He's like, I'm happy for you. And <laughs> he was like, okay. 
So when I seen her in prison, I'm like, oh, do you remember? And we started reminiscing and stuff. And then um, she told me about, you know, how she ended up being in prison because she was there for murder as well. Um, what was the story there? Her story was um, she was on drugs and I guess she had asked her aunt for some money. Growing up, Christina had been raised primarily by her great aunt. When she was 12 years old, she ran away with a 23-year-old man from Milwaukee. The man was later arrested on kidnapping charges. It was revealed in court that he'd held Christina at gunpoint, broke her nose, and raped her. After the trial, like Angelica and Ruth Ann, Christina was admitted to a psychiatric home for troubled children. Christina wouldn't see her great aunt again until the night of the murder. Her aunt wouldn't give her no money. They got into an altercation and she ended up hitting her with a frying pan and ended up killing her aunt. So she ended up getting a t uh, first degree murder. Hmm. So. At the time, Christina was the youngest inmate in the state of Iowa sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Years later, Christina was starting to turn her life around. She was getting married. They were trying to figure out a way uh, a prison that she could go to where she would have conjugal visits because she wanted to have a baby and everything else. Hmm. She never had the baby, though. She ended up have, um, getting uh, having cancer and passing away a couple years ago hmm. in prison. So. But hmm. she was married. Yeah. Had a husband. That's, that's kind of amazing. Was she like a... So I think when people hear like, oh, she was in jail for murder, they're like, she was tough or something um but like w w was she or, or was she someone who had like made a mistake and now was was in prison like what was her kind of character she like? had accepted what she had did mm -hmm. and was okay with where she was at she had in a sense made amends with herself along with her family members and mm -hmm. stuff because of the situation at hand i've noticed that a lot of times in the female penitentiary Instead of the ones that committed certain crimes, they'll admit to it and come to peace as to what they're going to serve. Instead of there's no sense of fighting it or whatnot. If you've already, you know, tried to appeal the the sentence or whatever, they take their destiny and they just leave it as that, and they make the best of whatever their destiny is, which is sad, but at the same time, understandable. Because if you don't know nothing about the outside world, you can't focus on it. Yeah, and Christina was kind of like that. Mm -hmm. As it happens, Christina wasn't the only familiar face at Mitchellville. Then, you know, she's like, oh, guess who else is here from school? I'm like, what the wow. heck? And then, you know, um, there was another girl named Shaka. She was there. Um, Chanel. Uh, I later found out um, I used to sell crack cocaine to her mother. She brought some pictures out, and I'm like, oh, I know her. And she's like, oh, how do you know her? I'm like, oh, I used to sell a crack. Was that, like, I assume that was kind of awkward. What was that like? Um, it was different. <laughs> she wasn't yeah. blaming you or anything? No, she, I, was just... she already knew what her mom was doing out there in the streets and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, no surprise. It was more of a shock of, oh, you're the one who's selling, and now me and you are building a relationship in these penitentiary walls. So are you kind of feeling all right at this point? By this like, time, I've already got like, comfortable. Yeah, comfortable with the situation yeah. that you're in because you have no choice to, but to be yeah. there. Because it was like a like I was back in school. 
<laughs> and stuff. It was like several of them, several of my old classmates from junior, even junior high, was in there for different crimes and stuff. Yeah. Another friend of mine um, violated parole because of the fact that um, she left state. And the only reason why they found out that she left state was because she went to the Jerry Springer show and she was on stage and the parole officer just so happened to watch Jerry Springer that day and see her episode. Yeah. Even the woman from the Polk County Jail who'd stabbed out her eye was there. She ended up coming to Mitchellville and was in the psych unit of Mitchellville and stuff. She had a glass eye and stuff by that time, by the time that she came. And um, after I left, they said that um, she was tired of seeing the world and she ended up taking her other eye out. So now she's completely blind. Yeah. Her name was Shane Egan and her family sued the Iowa Department of Corrections in 2014. The state settled, paying out $141,532. Oh, and Jason's sister was also there too. She was really? in the bottom of the hill, yeah. Jason was the drug dealer that Angelica stayed with after leaving the rehab center. And this was the same sister that Angelica and Mama Cheryl had been visiting when they narrowly missed being raided by police. So she was in Tallahassee for um, drugs. So when she found out that I was there, she was like, don't worry about nothing. You don't need nothing. I got you. And she was having people send money onto my account. She would send stuff from the bottom of the hill up the hill for me. I never needed cigarettes because she would send me packs of cigarettes. She'd send food up to the top of the hill. Be like, you know, send a message to her because she wasn't allowed to come to the top of the hill because she didn't have no job up there. So other people would be like, hey, tell Lala or tell Angelica, hey, you know, she said this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. And then that's how we communicated. So you're like really taking care. It sounds to yeah. me like you're more taken care of in there than in I am out here. Than you ever were at any other <laughs> yeah. point in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have an actual social yep. circle. Angelica also ended up getting in touch with Steve, the guy she'd been flirting with through Ninja Stars at the Holding Center in Missouri. I ended up calling him and stuff and we ended up sending letters back and forth to each other. Angelica even set her cellmate Lacey up with one of Steve's friends in his prison. And they were corresponding with each other. So now we had pen pals. Are you guys like crushing together in the cell and stuff? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got a letter today. What you what he say? Oh wait, I'm going to call him later on. Okay. Tell his friend to be over there so then we'll like share phone conversations or whatever. This all sounds very normal for like a 19 20 year old yeah yeah this all sounds like pretty it's just normal. done in prison <laughs> yeah i never really thought about this before but once you get to prison it's like oh everybody there's this this whole community of people that you knew from your past who are already mm-hmm. there in prison it's almost like people got like the people that you could have relied on throughout the early part of your life kept getting pulled out of your life because of like crime or, or some someone or they displaced. were yeah and then all of a sudden you end up in prison and it's like mm-hmm. oh everybody is here everybody's here anyway while angelica was discovering her new environment the outside world was moving along without her did your dad know that you were locked up I sent a letter to my father at IMCC, but 
my dad never acknowledged that I was in prison. Hmm. I was always away at school. So did he ever come and visit you the whole time you were in prison? No. Wow. My mother didn't even come and visit me. Are you in are you in contact with your mom about Anthony? Like do you talk I to him on the to phone? Text my mother or not text my mom. Good look. Write my mom, but she never replied. Really? And you're mm -hmm. not calling or getting in touch? No. Never brought him to visit you? No. Wow. I had no visitations while I was in prison. Hmm. Even on your birthday? Nope, not even on my birthday. Wow. My birthday cake was made by inmates. So you got a shoebox, and they had got um, Swiss roll cakes, which up to this day, I still like Swiss rolls. Mm -hmm. They peel off the chocolate off of it and unroll it. So then they stack them inside of the shoebox. So then they melt the chocolate and stuff from all the Swiss rolls, and they pour that on top. And then they'll put M&M's or other candies, whatever chocolate type candies that they have. And then you eat it. So it was like a, a layered cake. That actually sounds really good. It, it's actually good. They used to do the ramen noodles with the cheese. And then like the like summer sausages, they'll chop them up and put them in there. And then you cook it all together. So the summer sausage flavoring got into the ramen noodles. And it'd be so good. So you guys having like cookout nights Pretty and much. like parties and stuff like, like that? Like, okay, if you bring the wow. chips, then I'll bring the cheese. And you bring the... And they would make nachos using beef ramen noodles and all types of stuff we have hot chocolate with cappuccino with a uh, uh, butterscotch candy dropped in it that was good her plan was to keep her head down make parole at the five-month mark at the end of november and figure out how to get anthony back i was all excited i got granted parole and stuff they were looking for somewhere for me to go because my mom didn't want me coming back to the house. Mitchellville staff helped Angelica find placement at a halfway house where she would stay after being released. So they were waiting for a bed to open up. And when I got the date for my bed, I was all excited. And then that's Christina Fetters came running to me. She's like, uh, what's that girl's name that you said? I was like, Monica. And she's like, yeah, the bitch is here. Monica the woman who'd cashed the bad check that got Angelica arrested in the first place had been transferred to Mitchellville that same day. She's like, she's in orientation right now. And I'm like, what do you mean she's in orientation? She's like, the last set of people, instead of you was already talking to the parole board, she was in the group of people. You know, my blood started boiling already. Now you done had me go to prison. My son got taken away from me instead of I'm not living the life that I'm supposed to be living instead of now I have this on my background. It's a whole lot of things going on in my head. So I have this built up anger already. So um, I was ready to go into the unit and whoop her ass. Unfortunately, because it's the holding cell as well, it stays completely locked down. I can't run up in nowhere. So um, she's like, you know, all you got to do is tell me. And when she comes to the yard, I got you, I got you. And I'm like, man, as tempting as it is. She's like, I ain't got nothing else to lose. I'm already here for life. What they gonna do? 
put me in the hole. I've been in the hole before. She's like, it's nothing, it's nothing. Just let me know. I'll take care of it for you. I'm like, nah, just let it be. She get whatever she got coming to her, it's gonna come to her. Why do you think you said no? Because of the type of person I am. I believe in karma, and I believe for everything that you do wrong, it'll come back to you eventually. So it was like, why am I gonna risk my friend going into the hole, not being able to see her husband, not being able to communicate with other people and stuff, all because of this individual. She's already took my life away from me and took me away from my kid and stuff. So for to do for me to ask Christina to do that is not within my character. Mm-hmm. So by the time Monica got out of orientation, I was already leaving the prison. But getting Anthony back would be more complicated than Angelica anticipated. Next time on Where I Stay. And break apart. I'll break apart. Where I Stay is produced by Rivet and Streetwise. The show is hosted, reported, and produced by Jesse Batend. Streetwise is a weekly street publication that provides immediate income and employment opportunities to those experiencing homelessness. For more in-depth reporting and coverage, check out streetwise.org. If you enjoyed this show, there's a few things we'd ask of you. First, tell someone that, that you enjoyed it. Second, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It's one of the most crucial things when it comes to helping us spread the word. You can also learn more about Streetwise's mission at streetwise.org. And if you'd like to help support this kind of work, it's easier than ever. Text Streetwise, all one word, to 243-725. Or visit streetwise.org for more information. Special thanks to Angelica and everyone who spoke with me for this project. Our theme song is The Deconstruction by Eels. Check out their new album, Earth to Dora, wherever you get your music these days. For more about Angelica, the show, and in-depth reporting about the issues discussed, follow Streetwise on social media or just pick up a copy. Once again, you can make a difference in the life of someone experiencing homelessness by texting Streetwise to 243-725. You can also find that link in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Jesse Patend. Thank you for listening.